Psalm 19 in your Bibles, please. Psalm 19. We're back in the Psalms today. Psalm 19. Nine zero. They're from Northern Ireland, you say, so long. Are we just up north? I like the north. Psalm 19 in your Bibles, please. And this evening, uh, this morning, I'd like to speak about the everlasting God. Uh, we're continuing our series on the attributes of God, and over the last number of weeks, we've seen that our God is omnipotent, meaning He is all powerful. Good. He is omnipresent, meaning He is everywhere present, and He is omniscient, meaning He is all knowing. Good. But today, we're going to see from the book of Psalms that God is everlasting. Almost all of the Psalter, that's the Psalms, the book of Psalms was written by David, of the 150 uh, Psalms, 73 or almost half are directly attributed to David. 50, which is exactly a third, have no stated writer, but as David is called the, the sweet Psalmist of Israel in 2 Samuel 23, we can safely attribute those songs to David. That leaves 27 Psalms that were written by someone other than David. The soldier spans hundreds of years, beginning just before the conquest of the Promised Land, all the way through to beyond the Babylonian captivity, where Israel was removed from their land by Babylonians. In other words, the Psalms span a period of about a thousand years. It's interesting, isn't it? Apart from David, Solomon, the sons of Asaph, and Korah are named as writers of these inspired hymns. But the psalm we will look at this morning was written by the prophet Moses. So this really is written by Moses. His psalm is not just a song, it's a prayer. It's a prayer to God to turn his people back. Israel had not just wandered, but they had brought the wrath of God upon themselves. And you could read about that in the book of, um, I suppose, Exodus, really all the way through to Deuteronomy, you can read that. But Israel, and particularly the book of Numbers, really brings that out. But Israel had not just brought, wandered, but they brought the wrath of God upon themselves and upon their nation. And in response, Moses cried as he pondered, now think about this, the eternality of God. He was thinking, as he's crying out to God, this is really interesting because, brethren, when we pray, sometimes we just pray out these prayers, and sometimes they're prayers of cries of help, which is fine. But when Moses prayed, he's going through the attributes of God. Now, I want to challenge you to do that. We've gone through the attributes of God. And as you pray, think about the omnipotence of God. Think about the omniscience of God. Think about the immutability of God. I haven't talked about that, but we'll, we'll get there. But think about the very nature of God. Think of the sovereignty of God. Think about who God is. Think about the omnipresence of God as you pray. Because it puts a different perspective on your prayers. Even me. Psalm 90. Let's, let's get into it. I don't know what verses we're going to read this morning. We're going to read probably all of it, but I won't read all, all now. Let's at least start uh, at verse, verse 1. Then. Let's have it that. Lord, that has been our dwelling place. Oh, by the way, I forgot the title. Inspired of God. I better put it in there. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Verse 1. Lord, that has been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, there you go. Thou art God. 
Thou turnest man to destruction, and sayest, Return, ye children of men. For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday, when it is past, and as a watch in the night. Thou carriest them away as with a flood. They are as asleep in the morning. They are like grass which groweth up. In the morning it flourisheth and groweth up. And in the evening it is cut down and withered. Maybe verse 7. For we are consumed by thy anger, and by thy wrath we are troubled. Verse 8, we keep on going. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we go through this psalm. And uh, we're going to gain some really good insights about how to pray and how to look to the everlasting God. Father in heaven, I want to praise you for your word. This book is so powerful. Lord, I want to give you praise for the Sunday school class in the book of Ecclesiastes. As we study that book, it's a tremendous blessing to me, Lord, and thank you for the work that was put in so we can hear what was taught. I pray, God, we'll be able to just gain a lot of insight and a lot of blessing as we study your word. But this morning, this is your hour. This is your moment to speak to your people. Lord, you have your people here on purpose. You want to speak to them. There's things you want to say. Let man not hinder your words. <coughs> Lord, let your words go true to our hearts. Amen. And may your spirit empower your words. Because, Lord God, you don't speak your words just so we can hear them. But you speak your words so that we can be changed by them. May we experience the grace of God that will bring the change that we need. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. First thing I want to share with you. Number one, God is everlasting, right? That, that the everlasting God is what, is what this message is about. Number one, since God is the everlasting, he's always been there. He's always been there. Read verse one and two again. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting thou art God. There's a song written about that, from everlasting, everlasting. Big song, you have that word song going on in your head. It's powerful. Because God is from everlasting. Let's talk about that for a minute. The Bible says in verse 1, Thou hast been our dwelling place. The Lord was the dwelling place of Moses. The dwelling place refers to the habitation of God, where God lives. It is the holy place in heaven. Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse 15. It's where sacrifices and offerings were made. They were made to the dwelling place of God in Deuteronomy, uh, sorry, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 29. It's the place where God's honor dwells. You know God is honorable? God is the place where his honor dwells. And that is his holy habitation. Psalm 26, verse 8. It's the place of security and rest. It, he is our refuge. Psalm 91 verse 9. The Bible tells us that there was this dwelling place, this place where God lives and Moses was there. In fact, that was the sacred place where Moses loved to dwell. Before there was a tabernacle, before there was a temple, Moses went to the dwelling place of God. Just think about that. Moses loved to dwell with God. He loved to find that holy and sacred place where brethren, he entered into the very presence of God. And I want to ask you, or I want to, sorry, not ask you, but mention to you this morning that if we don't enter into the very presence of God, life is very shallow. 
If all we do is live to wake up in the morning and work, have a bit of pleasure, go to bed at night, and say hello, goodbye to the ones we love, life is very shallow. There's so much more to life than just existing. Moses found that secret in the very presence of God. He wanted to be where God was. And this verse is very challenging to me. Exodus 33 verse 15, Moses said this. If thy presence go not with me, carry us not hence. Moses said to the Lord, I know you're angry with your children. And, and this is what the psalm is really about. And I don't know when it was written. The Bible doesn't tell us. But there could have been, there could have been many instances. Do you remember they were, uh, they, they, they were committing a, a, a idolatry at the base of the mountain? They had made these golden calves. Do you remember that? Do you remember reading about that? Moses was receiving the Ten Commandments and, and then he, he comes down and he breaks those Ten Commandments and he's so grieved. And after being grieved with his people and praying for his people, he goes up to the Lord and he says in Exodus 33 verse 15, if your presence go not with me, carries up hands. I know, Lord, you used me to take the people of Israel out of, the, out of Egypt and towards this promised land. I know we crossed the Red Sea. I know we're in the Sinai Peninsula. I know we're heading up towards the promised land. But, Lord, I don't want to go any further if you're not with us. Now, think with me for a second, brethren. Moses lived for this. Everyone in this, in this room is living for something. There is something that gets you out of bed in the morning even when you feel like lying in bed. Right? And it's not just work. There's something more to life that you say, this is why I live. And Moses had his thing he was living for. And what Moses was living for was to get to that promised land. That was his goal. And when God said, no, you're not entering this promised land... It's like his whole life was taken away from him. Do you understand what I'm saying? It was crushed. But Moses, even though, and this was how God was preparing him when God was going to say, no, you can't enter into the promised land. And if you know the story of it, um, you, you know, but if you don't, read through the book of, of, of Deuteronomy. Read through Numbers. Read through Numbers. You'll, you'll find out what happened to Moses. But Moses said this, even though he lived for getting drinking the promised land, he said, God, if you're not with me, I don't want to go. I don't want to be there if you're not there. That's powerful. Because the Lord was his dwelling place. The Lord was the dwelling place for Moses, and the, the Lord was dwelling, the dwelling place for many godly men. Look at verse 1 again. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. And so now we're getting back to the eternality of God. Abel considered the Lord his dwelling place as he offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Enoch considered God his dwelling place as he walked with God. Noah considered God his dwelling place as he built an ark. Abraham considered God his dwelling place as he looked for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Can I go back quickly to the ark again? One of the greatest ships that was ever built was supposed to be the Titanic, and we were just up at the museum yesterday. They said that ship was unsinkable, and someone said not even God could sink that ship. Well, it did sink until they hit an iceberg. And I think you all, you know, many of you know the history behind it. That's because the builder was man. God was the builder of the ark. Noah followed the directions God gave, and that, that ship didn't sink, and it was floating above the whole world. I'm sure there's many icebergs in there. Do you understand what I'm saying? When God builds your ship, it's never going to sink. Amen. 
But Noah considered God his dwelling place, not the ark. Abraham considered God his dwelling place as he looked for a city which had foundations, whose builder's maker is God. And God was as much a dwelling place to Moses as he was to Abel, as he was to Enoch, as he was to Abraham. Brethren, I want to tell you something this morning. God has a very special dwelling place for every single person in this room if you want to meet with God. If you want to meet with God, God is a dwelling place for you. God can be a resting place to all generations. Why? And dwelling place to all generations because he is everlasting. Verse 2, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting thou art God. Being everlasting means that God existed even before the earth existed. Now that raises the question, how old is the earth? Now, you know, we know what Genesis says. If you read the book of Genesis, you're drawn to a logical conclusion, unless you do all sorts of somersaults with scripture, you're drawn to the conclusion that the earth is thousand years old, right? That's what the Bible says. But I don't want to talk about the Bible for a second. Just a moment, if you bear with me. Because we all know what the Bible says, okay? I want to talk about scientists. I want to talk about the greatest scientific minds, and I want to hear what they have to say about how old the earth is. Isaac Newton. Who's heard of Isaac Newton? Raise your hand. Okay, good. That's a good show. Who's heard of gravity? Raise your hand. <laughs> Isaac Newton discovered gravity, one of the greatest scientists that ever lived. Uh, he said, he, and he believed in an intelligent and powerful creator. He didn't believe in this spontaneous creation. I don't want to use the word, but eruption of life. He believed in creation. Louis Pasteur, raise your hand. Who's heard of Louis Pasteur? Okay, less hand. Who's heard of vaccines? Raise your hand. Louis Pasteur uh, worked on and discovered a vaccine for rabies. A great, great, great. Uh, and that wasn't, that wasn't his only, uh, it wasn't his only vaccine that he discovered, by the way. He lived during the time of Darwin, and he was greatly opposed to Darwin's theory of spontaneous generation. Spontaneous generation means that life comes from non-life. He thought that because you find maggots on this dead food, that the, the dead food creates the maggots. No, it didn't. And he proved it scientifically. He, is dis he disproved the thought that evolution is still based on a spontaneous generation. He, he disproved it, but they still believe it, which is interesting. One of the greatest scientists ever lived. Okay, last one. I know, I, I'm, I'm really curious. Who's heard of Dr. Raymond Damadian? Dr. Raymond Damadian, raise your hand if you've ever heard of him. Raise your hand. One person. Let me ask the second question. Are you ready for everybody's hands to go up? Who's heard of, of the MRI? Oh, come on. Everybody's heard of MRI. We've all heard of the MRI. Dr. Raymond Damadian, he created the MRI. One of the greatest scientists that has ever lived, and he only died last year. He was denied a Nobel Peace Prize, and most people believe he denied he was denied Nobel Peace Prize because he believed this book. He was a committed Christian and he believed that Genesis can be Nobel Prize for science So what I'm trying to tell you this morning is I can show you from the Bible. We don't, I don't have to show you from the Bible. The Bible says the earth is a thousand years old. I can go to the six days of creation. I'm trying to tell you that scientists, greatest, the greatest scientists, some of the greatest scientists ever lived, believe in creation. I'm just trying to just let you know. Don't let the popular opinion of this world 
it tell you the scientists don't believe in creation? They do. And not every scientist believes in evolution. They don't. Many believe in creation. They don't always know who to attribute it to. And I believe Einstein believed in creation, but he wasn't, he wasn't a Bible believer. But he knew what didn't come out of some evolutionary process, because it really doesn't make any sense. And scientifically, honestly, it's impossible. I won't get into that today. But I know what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 90, verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, whoever thou hast formed the earth and the world, the Bible says that God created the earth and the world. And what was before the earth and the world? God. From everlasting to everlasting thou art God. The Lord existed in the everlasting past. And brethren, he's going to live in the everlasting future. From everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. God told Moses in Exodus chapter 3, I am. Now, I don't want to lose you this morning, but I want to tell you something. I am means he is. And, and if you know the English language, which you all do, I am is not in the past tense, is not in the future tense, it is in the present. God lives in the present. He doesn't have a past and he doesn't have a future. He only does that for us. He lives in the continuous present. He lives. He is. He exists. He has no beginning. He'll have no ending. He is. Now, I don't understand that. I don't understand someone who knows everything about everything. I don't understand someone who is everywhere all at the same time. I don't get that, but I know it's true. I know God is. God has always existed and he will never cease to exist. Most famous names like Hitler uh, of the last generation or Donald Trump of this present generation will come and go. Some may know the na ancient names like Judas Caesar or Constantine. But let's go further. Who was the Pharaoh of the Exodus? Some may know. There's a debate on that one. But let me ask you a question. Who was the world ruler when the great flood came upon the whole earth? Who was the world ruler? No one knows. Just go back further unless far enough and nobody knows. Brethren, the names like Stephen Hawking, who they say was one of the greatest minds of, of our generation, will be forgotten in another generation. Why? Because he's gone. He's gone. He's passed on into eternity. He's met the Lord. I don't know what side he was on. I don't know what he did with his last breath. I hope he changed his mind on a lot of things before he met his creator. Brethren, people come and go. But our Lord will never be forgotten. Think about that for a second. God will never be forgotten. From everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. The whole Western world knows the name of Jesus. Many know him as their savior. Some only know his name as our word to curse. But everyone knows the name of Jesus. From everlasting to everlasting, he's God. He wa always was and always will be present in every generation. Since God is everlasting, he has always been there. Number two, since God is everlasting, he lives outside time. Look at verse three to six, he lives outside time. Thou turnest man to destruction, and sayest, Return ye children of men. For a thousand years in thy sight are as are sorry, but as yesterday, when it is past, and as a watch in the night. 
that carries them away as like as with a flood. They are as asleep. In the morning they are like grass which groweth up. In the morning it flourishes and groweth up. In the evening it's cut down withered. God lives outside of time. We, we don't. We're bound by time. Sometimes we get frustrated by time. I heard a wise person say, God always gives you the time to do the things he wants you to do. Isn't that right? But we still get frustrated by time, don't we? We do. Other times we abuse the time we have. But you know, I'm so glad the Lord works with us, aren't you? He gives us time to sin, and he gives us time to repent. Look at verse 3 again. Thou turnest man to destruction, and sayest, return, ye children of men. He delivers man to sin. He turns man to destruction. He delivers man over to his sin. He allows us to sow our wild oats. Like the father of the prodigal, he allows us to walk away from our inheritance. And I'm sorry, walk away with our inheritance, should I really say, knowing we're going to waste everything. Why does God allow us to have it all So if he knows we're going to waste it all? Unrighteous living. But he does. He also knows that we reap what we sow. Let's go to Galatians chapter 6. Keep your marker there in Psalm 90, please. Psalm 90, we're going back to Galatians, go over to Galatians in the New Testament. If you don't know where it is, don't worry. Just listen in and you'll hear the verse. Galatians chapter 6. The Bible says here, this is, this is what the Lord knows. And he allows us to go through. Galatians chapter 6 verse 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. He allows us to reap what we sow. He allows us, he allows the natural effects of life to carry through, to follow through. He allows it. He doesn't always intervene in our lives and, and stop us when we're going to fall, when we are the ones that contribute to this factor. Sometimes he does, but he doesn't always. But like the prodigal, he allows us to barely fill our stomachs with the husks that the pigs feast on. Remember that the husks, they're the shells of the fruit or the nuts. No, color, no, no value in them whatsoever. No nutrition in them whatsoever. They're only good for pig slop. But brethren, that's what we end up feasting on if we begin to reap the wages of our sin. But then finally, thank God, because of his grace, we see the foolishness of our ways. Verse 3, we're back in Psalm 90. Psalm 90, verse 3. That turneth man to destruction. He, he allows the prodigal to, to go away and, and reap his wild oats. And then says, verse, again, verse 3, return, you children of man. He calls us to repentance, doesn't he? Thank God for his grace. Aren't you glad for the call to repentance? Where would we be without the call to repentance. I tell you where I'd be, back in the pig slot. When we see the foolishness of our ways, it calls us to repent. And when the prodigal lost everything, he knew he had nothing to lose by humbling himself and going back to the Father. And guess who was waiting for him? And he went back? The Father. Because the Father loves the Son, right? God gives us time to sin, he gives us time to repent. And brethren, he sees our lives, because he's everlasting, he sees our lives as very, very short. Let's think about this for a second. For a thousand years, verse 4. A thousand years in thy sight are, what, as yesterday? 
when it is past and as a watch in the night. It is really amazing to think about. Compared to the ancient of days, and that's what the Bible calls the Lord, our days are really, really short. Now let's think about this for, for a second. 2 Peter 3.8 Beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, as a thousand years is one day. So in, in, in God's time scale, it's just one day. In our time scale, it's a thousand years. So let's break this down. How many generations fit into a, a thousand years? Let's say 20, 25. Yet those 20 to 25 generations is just one day with the Lord. Just one day. Wow. Really puts things in perspective. And in that day of the Lord's calendar, dozens of generations come and go. But what, think about the life of a fruit fly. <laughs> I mean, the life of a fruit fly is 40 to 50 days. We all love fruit flies, right? <laughs> 40 to 50 days. But they come, they go. They come, they go. That's how God sees our lives. That's short. They're, our lives are really, really short in His eyes because He's eternal. We're thinking about the Lord here for a second. Think about the summer grass. We look at verse 5, that carries them away, verse 5, as with a flood, and there is a, a, as a sleep in the morning, they are like grass which groweth up. And, and verse 6 says that the grass is cut away, but how often do you cut our grass? I know people who cut their grass like once every six months. We try to make sure our, our grass is cut at least once a week. So let's say some people are really finicky about their grass, and they want their grass cut every five to seven days. So that's probably 30 to 40 times in a, in, in, a, in a summer. Okay, in a year, should I say not a summer, but in a year. And uh, that 30 to 40 uh, grass cuts are equivalent to 30 to 40 generations of grass in a year. That's how God sees our lives. Come, go, come, go. Our lives are so short. What is a lifetime to us is just one moment in time for the Lord. Like, this message might be 40 minutes long, whatever. That's like 40 lifetimes to the Lord. Of, of our lifetimes. Our lives are so short. And you're seeing a contrast between our mortality and his immortality between man's fleeting days and God's eternal life, his eternal years. Our years are only minutes to the eternal God of heaven. Number one, since God is everlasting, he has always been there. Number two, since God is everlasting, he lives outside time. But thirdly, since God is everlasting, his displeasures seem like a lifetime. Now we're taking a good look at ourselves this morning, brethren. Look at verse 7. For we are consumed by thy anger. Remember the context? Moses is pleading for his people who had sinned against God. We don't know what happened. Maybe it was the golden calf. Maybe it was the complaining in the wilderness. Oh, and then the, and the, the, the fiery serpents came. We don't know. Um, but, but maybe it was, we don't know. We don't know what it was. But Bible says, verse 7, We are consumed by thine anger and by thy wrath are we troubled. Thou hast, thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. See, God was displeased with the nation of Israel. And under the chastening hand of the Lord, many were losing their lives. And that's very clear from the scriptures here. They were being consumed, which means they were dying. 
And that's why Moses gave himself to prayer for his people. Look again at the title of this psalm. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. He was praying for his people. But brethren, here's the, here's the fact of the matter. What happened to the nation of Israel can happen to us. Verse 7. For we are consumed by thine anger and by thy wrath are we troubled. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. We can say that about ourselves. We can sin against God. And when we sin against God, we can bring his displeasure upon ourselves. Sometimes when we sin, the Lord just lets it go. Sometimes when he sins, he just allows us a little bit more rope, a little bit more grace. Sometimes we end, we sin and end with a soft landing. Sometimes we sin and we have a very hard landing. You would be here this, this, this morning. And none of us can control what happens when we sin. That's in the hands of the Almighty. But I know sometimes we can hold on to sin. And like grass is consumed, we are consumed when we refuse to repent. David wrote in Psalm 32 verse 3, When I kept silence, and here's the warning for us, When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. Psalm 31 verse 10, For my life is spent with grief, and my years with sighing. My strength faileth because of my iniquity and my bones are consumed. And we talked about this in the book of Ecclesiastes this morning when Josiah was teaching through that. The importance of fearing God. Brethren, when we allow sin to, 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 to be manifested in our lives, when we harbor sin in our lives, it eats us up. And what it does is it takes the life away from us. So our life is no longer quality. And that's why David said in Psalm 51 verse 8, Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. David said, I just want relief. What should be our joyful future can become our difficult past. Look at verse 9. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our day years as a tale that is told. Many young people, and not just young, sometimes older people, are full of ambition. They have hopes and dreams and goals. But here's the problem. Some leave God out of their ambitions. And I can guarantee you, when you leave God out of your ambitions, trouble is not the corner. They go ahead. They make their plans without any consideration for his approval. And Moses wrote about these people, verse 9, All our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. Days of trouble become months of trouble, then years. And those, those years are not filled with blessing. And it's the same old story of hardship. And you and I have come across people who live this way. And you go see them. And, and, and the story is always the same. About what they're going through. You see them years later. The story is still the same. That's what verse 9 is dealing with. And brethren, I want us to understand this morning. That is years of our life. But it's just a moment in God's eternal calendar. So short because he's eternal. But I'm here this morning to tell you that is not what God wants for us. God does not want us to be where the nation of Israel was in verse 7 to 9. God does not want us to live in verses 7 to 9. Since God is everlasting, he's always been there. Since God is everlasting, he lives outside time. Since, since God is everlasting, his displeasure is a lifetime. But finally, since God is everlasting, and this life is not, we need his help. Everything comes back to the fear of the Lord, doesn't it? Look at verse 10. 
The days of our years are threescore years and ten. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Verse 10 brings out the point that our, the days of our years is threescore, which is 60, plus 10 is 70. And if you get fourscore, which is 80, you know, the average worldwide expectancy for men is 70.8 years. The average world expectancy for man is 70 years. Give or take. The average life expectancy in Ireland is now 81.3, but in Chad it is 53.7, which means then that the Irish people have on average 30 more years to enjoy than the people of Chad. And you know what I say? And again, this goes back to Sunday school class. Make it count. Make those years count. Don't let them be miserable years, like we read about in the scriptures here, like, like with the children of Israel. Make them, make them joyful years. Make them blessed years. I can't have anything, think of anything more miserable than people living long to just do more complaining. If we're going to live long, let's enjoy life. We were talking about that in Sunday school class. Oh, brother, I'm going to re-preach the Sunday school lesson because you missed it. Not everybody, but so, whoever missed it. Because there's so much truth in the book of Ecclesiastes. Please, go back and listen to it. It's going to be put online. Go back and listen to that message. Because it's going to be so helpful to you. Brethren, God wants us to, to, to make every moment count. There are people alive today who should be gone. A generation ago they'd be gone. Medicine is keeping them alive. It's amazing what medicine can do. Isn't that right? And if people in Ireland have access to medicine to allow them to live on average 30 years longer, make it count. Make it count. We don't want to stir up the Lord to grief or to anger. Verse 11, who knoweth the power of thine anger, even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. We want to make sure the Lord is happy with us. Amen. Instead, we want to make every moment count. Verse 12, I love this. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Now, how are we going to make, our, 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 take, make every moment count? Let me make some suggestions for you. And if you have a pen and paper, you want to write these down, that'll help you to make every moment count. Number one, we make every moment count by dedicating each day to the Lord. You wake up in the morning, say, God, this is your day. Not my day, it's your day. I dedicate this day to you. I dedicate my attitude to you. I dedicate my heart to you. I dedicate my children to you, if you're a father. If you don't have any kids, very hard to dedicate them to the Lord, okay? But in the future, you could. And I was praying for my kids before they were ever born. I, ded I dedicate my finances to you. I dedicate my home to you. I dedicate my car to you. And by the way, I really do dedicate my car to the Lord. <laughs> it's on its last legs. I just need a few more months after. That's my wife's car. I have no idea about my car. We definitely need new cars, but let's get the building first. That's the focus, right? But I dedicate these things. But dedicate your day to the Lord. Say, God, this is your day. This is the day that the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Number two. How else can you make each moment count? By doing something that will count for eternity. Sometimes we can go through whole days and do stuff just for ourselves. Now listen. It's not wrong to do stuff for yourself. If you eat, you're doing that for yourself, right? Okay? 
You work. Sometimes you're doing it for yourself, sometimes not. But you understand. But do something that will count for eternity. Have, what, what counts for eternity? Winning souls for Jesus Christ. Have gospel leaflets, pass them out. Tell someone about Jesus. That's going to count for eternity. Um, sacrificially serve a brother. Do something for somebody else. Sacrificially. That hurt you. Maybe it's going to eat into your time. Do it for Jesus' sake. Amen? Maybe it's going to cost you money. Dig into your savings. Nothing wrong with that. I'd rather give of my savings for a good cause than give of my savings for something that went wrong in my life. And if you give of your savings for a good cause, then things start to go wrong in your life. You got a lifeline to the Lord. <laughs> Sacrificially serve the Lord's work. Say, <coughs> so, oh God, how can I bless Gospel Baptist Church? What can I do? What's the need here? And many of you have done that. Praise God. Do you know what's such a joy to me? To be running late. I had to go do something. I had to go to the ATM. And then that was, that was broken. I went to another ATM. And that was broken. I just, is it my card? What is it? I went to finally Bank of Ireland, their ATM worked. Praise the Lord. Came a few minutes late. But you know what the joy is? Everything just... Keeps going. The service started. Musicians worked. Sound leader was leading. The, 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 the projector was working. Everything was working. That's a blessing, isn't it? Do you know why that happens? Because people sacrificially serve the Lord. For everything that happened in Gospel Baptist Church, somebody has to do something of sacrifice. Brother Willie and Lizzie are sacrificing their time and other their food, I suppose, to invite their home out, open, to open up their home for people to come back. Praise God for that sacrifice. Let's be a blessing one to another. Sacrificially serve. That, that's eternal, right? And here's another one. Another way you can make, uh, do something that will count for eternity. Make choices to listen to God's spirit rather than your flesh. Brethren, every one of us are self-serving. It's very natural to us. But when we make choices and say no to our flesh, but I want to do this for, in Jesus' name, it's hard, isn't it? But that's eternal. It's eternal. It's eternal. How else can we make every moment count? We can make every moment count, uh, we said by dedicating our day to the Lord, by doing something that counts for eternity. We make every moment count by consciously trying to grow spiritually. If you don't try to grow, I guarantee you, you won't grow. Unless God brings heavy trials into your life and then you're forced to grow. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, heavy trials may come. That's by the gracious hand of God. That he loves us and he's working with us. But the point is, if you don't consciously grow and make a choice to grow, you probably won't grow. And if you're not going forward, what's happening? We're going backwards. I guarantee you, I've seen a lot over the years, and every Christian I've met who doesn't consciously try to go forward in the world, they always backslide, every single time. And they lose ground for God. And I tell you, that brings me to my fourth suggestion to make every, to, to make every moment count. Make a conscious choice to gain ground for God. 
Now that could be granted in your own life, it could be granted with, with in, in the ministry or for God's work or whatever. Make a conscious choice to, make, to gain ground. God, I want to gain ground for you. That's eternal. That's eternal. And I want to ask you the question right now, what's God doing in your life? What's God doing in your life? Are you experiencing growth? I know God wants that from you. Because that's eternal, right? That's eternal. We need, uh, we, we need to make every moment count. We also need the Lord's help to make every moment count. Look at verse 13. We're back at verse 13 here. Return, O Lord, how long? And then uh, repent thee concerning thy servants. Oh, satisfy early, satisfy us early with thy mercy that we may rejoice. And be glad all our days. Lord, we need your help. We can't do this on our own. If you don't help us, you won't be able to make every moment count. We need your mercy. I need the help of God. We also need the Lord's help to redeem the time. Look at verse 15. Make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us, and the years wherein we have seen evil. All of us, have wasted time. And every moment we have wasted is lost forever. But the thing is, wouldn't it be wonderful to see as, as, as much bountiful days as we've had wasted days? Maybe even more, that'd be even better. But the psalmist asked, Lord, just give us as much. Make us glad according to the days where thou has afflicted us. So let us have the gladness, the, the number of days you afflicted us, let us have that same number of days with gladness, he's saying in verse 15. And the years when we have seen evil. Lord, we've seen this many years of evil. Let's see this many years of blessing. Brethren, I want to be a blessed man. I want to have a blessed church, a blessed congregation. I want to see blessing in all of our lives. But God cannot bless people who don't want to be blessed. Now that sounds really strange. But it's true. If we want blessing, we've got to ask God. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. All giving good comes from God. We've got to ask him. He have not because ye ask not. God, I want your blessing. I want your blessing upon my family. Lord, I want your blessing. I want to see your blessing upon the work of God and Lucas. Lord, I want your blessing. I want to see your blessing upon the Holy Bible Club that's coming up next month. Two weeks now. We need God's blessing, but we've got to want that blessing. We need God's help to redeem the time because we are very good at wasting time. It comes naturally to us, so we need God's help to, un to, to, to give us good things. And brethren, we're, we're never going to get it right all the time. Again, in Ecclesiastes, as we learned this morning, <coughs> be not overly righteous. Don't try to get it right all the time, because you're only going to frustrate yourself. Just walk with God. Just ask Him to bless you. When you make dumb decisions, and you're going to make dumb decisions, and say, Lord, help make some good decisions as well. <laughs> Amen. And finally, we need the Lord's help to finally become beautiful. Look at verse 16 and 17. Let thy work appear unto thy servants, and thy glory unto their children, and let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. 
and establish that the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands established that way. So he's saying it twice. He's, got, he's making a point here. Brethren, God wants to beautify us. We're human. Man looks upon the outward appearance. God looks upon them. When we first see people, we judge them by how they look on the outside. It's human nature. Now, when I say judge them, I'm not saying we're condemning them or criticizing them, but we make conscious choices of what we think about a person when we first see a person, right? It's human nature. It's, it's just the way it is. We all do. It's human nature, right? God does not do that at all. God looks straight what? The heart. You and I can't see inside people's hearts. But I know inside each one of our hearts, there's something God wants to beautify. God wants to pour beauty upon our lives. And he wants to make us all beautiful. So while man is trying to fix his hair, make it perfect, and mine was almost perfect this morning. Why do people always laugh when they think stuff like that? I'm just more focused about my heart, amen? You know? <laughs> That's really spiritual, isn't it? I think the Bible says don't be righteous over much. <laughs> but the point is this. We can be so focused on the outside. Not that it's wrong to be focused on the outside. I think it's good to comb your hair at least once in the morning. Maybe more. But at least one. And we should be focused on, we should, because people do see the outer appearance. You don't want to come across sloppy to people. I get that. Because that may, they, they draw their conclusions based on what they think. We all understand this. But there's something God wants to do better than that in our lives. He wants us to make us beautiful on the inside. And that's what verse 17 is about. Let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. I want to see everyone in here be absolutely beautiful. There are people, and I won't name, mention them publicly, but there are public people, you and I have never met, we've seen them on TV, and physically very beautiful to look upon. But when you get to know who they really are, they're really ugly and it completely turns you off. Do you know what I'm talking about? Public figures who are just maybe have natural physical beauty, but because they're so ugly as people, they're just repulsive. Do you understand what I'm saying? I think we, we all understand that. But then you can have people who are just completely plain. But when they're so filled with the Lord, the beauty just radiates out of their life. And they become so attractive and beautiful because the beauty is not the physical appearance. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. That's why the Bible says in verse 17, let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. God wants to beautify every single person in this room. And every single person in this room can be beautiful, completely beautiful. Why? Because of Christ. When you allow Christ into your life, to fill your life, and change your life and make you what he wants you to be. Brethren, our eyes are so blinded. Verse 16, let the work appear, let thy work appear unto thy servants. Why is the psalmist saying, why is Moses saying, let thy work appear unto thy servants? Because he can't see it. People can't see it. We're so blinded. We're so blinded to what God is doing. We're blinded to what we want to do. Do you understand? And when God sees us blinded to what he wants to do, there's no beauty in that. He does not think we're beautiful at all. He wants to open our eyes. And brethren, I want to tell you something. If you want your children to be reached, you need to be reached yourself. By the one who reaches them. His name is Jesus. 
Look at it says here, verse 16. Let thy work appear unto thy servants and thy glory unto their children. You know, the children will never see the glory of God until the work appears first to the servants. Do you understand what I'm saying? The best way, the greatest way to reach your children is allow God to reach you. And I think we all desire our children to love the Lord. But brethren, I'll tell you when our eyes are open. And you say, how do we know? How do we know when the beauty of the Lord is upon us? Verse 17 tells us, And establish thou the work of our hands upon us. The work of our hands. You know, the psalmist Moses is saying, Lord, I want you to establish the work of our hands. And he's not saying, Lord, I want you to do my will. He's saying, Lord, I want to do your will. He's not saying, Lord, I want you to do my work. He's saying, Lord, I want to do your work. And the whole thing is, when our work becomes God's work, when God's work becomes our work, then God's going to establish it. Isn't that right? That's what needs to happen. And our eyes are opened when we see that the most important thing is not what we want in life, but what God wants in life. Our eyes are opened when we see that the most important thing in life is to do what God wants us to do. His will is more important than anything in the whole world. Eyes opened. And you know what? When that's our heart, to do what God wants us to do, it's beautiful. To Him. He doesn't look at the outward appearance. He doesn't matter how our hair looks. My wife might matter how my hair looks. But what God really, what He minds is how our heart looks. The beauty that He thinks of. But I can tell you something. When Christians start to get beautiful, it's, you can see it. <coughs> they radiate, don't they? They radiate Christ. You can see their faces. That's what God wants. That's what God wants. And you know what? When we start thinking that way, we start thinking in an everlasting way because our God is an everlasting God. So this message this morning was about the eternality of God. God is everlasting. And the strange thing is, that many people, especially in their youth, think they're going to live forever. Don't they? I'm going to live forever. I'm never going to die. You know there was a man called Evil Knievel? How of you heard of Evil Knievel? Okay, some of those older folks. He thought he was going to live forever. He had so many broken bones. But I watched him stand up in a congregation, give his testimony, repenting of his sin, and put his faith in Jesus Christ. And it was one of those wacky God channel things. And the guy was very uncomfortable with his testimony. It was great, though. Because of a real testimony of somebody got saved. It was wonderful. But he thought he'd live forever until he realized man can't live forever without God. Because man is not eternal in that sense. Only God is eternal. And when you lay hold on the eternal God, he gives you eternal life so that we can live forever with him. So what do we talk about? Number one, since God is everlasting, he's always been there, he lives outside time. And we know that, but since God is everlasting, number two, his displeasure seems like a lifetime. And I want to ask you this morning, how is your relationship with the Lord? Is he really pleased with you? Are you sure? Or are, some, are there some things you need to get right with the eternal God? And finally, number three, it's really number four, I suppose. Since God is everlasting and life is not, we need his help. Do you see the need to make every moment count in your life? Every moment count. Are your eyes open to his work? 
Is his work your work? Is your work his work? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And let's pray to the 